Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Feels good to be in church and to feel the presence of the Lord, but it also is good to be in church and feel the presence of one another. Great to have fellowship, and I'm thankful for the church, and I'm thankful that God didn't just fill me with the Holy Ghost and send me home to wait on Him. Thankful for the local church, the body of Christ that we plug into on a consistent basis, that not only in times of corporate worship and praise like this evening, but just those off times that we have together that impart to us strength and wisdom and knowledge, and they help us just to become who and what we are. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask you just to pray tonight that the Lord would, would just touch his word and let it be a let it be a brand of fire in our heart to strengthen us together. Lord, I love you today and I thank you for your goodness. And what a privilege it is to be here. And I am not taking at all for granted your presence and the promises that we have when we come together in your name. I ask you tonight, Lord, to just let the word, let it speak for itself. It is forever settled and irrevocable. And so I ask you tonight to help us reach for it with all that we have. And I pray that we'll pull it into our spirit and be better when we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. This evening, I, I uh, want to end our series that we have been dealing with for several weeks. I alluded Sunday that we may end, but I was waffling a little bit because I had one more thing in my heart, but I, I just wanted the Lord to help me with it. And... Uh, and so this evening, I want to end this series on the subject of, of um, miracles and healing. But I, I just have asked the Lord to touch my heart because I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not sure that I'm altogether qualified to speak on this. No more so than anybody else that would be in this house. It's a vast subject, and the more I ponder it, the broader it becomes. And uh, I, don't, I don't doubt the Lord today more than I did at any point in my walk with God. As a matter of fact, what I believe is more solidified today than ever before. But I pray that the Lord would just somehow help this word as I have read and studied and prayed about this for the last several weeks, really, I believe that God has helped me to 
find a few things in his word and uh, I want to share that with you to the best of my ability. I don't think anyone here would raise their hand and say, I have a complete full understanding of how all this works and if you'll move over, I'll take the mic. <laughs> but I'm going to just share with you some, with some things, share some things with you that I think God has, or I feel like God has blessed me with particularly and so... Uh, Let's just make this journey together. Because we have a few instances of physical healing in the Old Testament and in the earthly ministry of Jesus and in the New Testament church, I think we are compelled, and I feel like rightly so, we are compelled to pray in faith that it would happen again and again and again and again with us, with our friends, our families, when people face sicknesses or perhaps certain situations that seem unanswerable, mountains that seem uncrossable, we are inclined to have that kind of faith. I think that I am certainly not alone tonight when, when I say that when calamity strikes or when a phone call comes bearing uh, some news that doesn't fit into our world, one of the first things we think about is we need to pray. We need to pray. In our home, when you pray, when you call for prayer or when anyone calls for prayer, we stop whatever we're doing and pray. That may be Thanksgiving dinner. That may be family reunion. It may be whatever, but we're going to, because prayer is that important. I don't say that as a boast. I say that because I'm confident I'm not alone in that. I think that happens across the board we have uh, I have personally witnessed many miracles of divine healing from whether the Lord touched somebody and healed them instantly of a headache and if you think that's a minuscule thing you maybe have never had the right kind of headache but they can pull you to your knees I've watched God heal people from headaches to cancers and we've had that happen right here in this very church and uh, so and, and I don't, I know in the sight of God, a miracle is a miracle, a need is a need. And so I use that, that spectrum of a headache to cancer only for our ability to kind of weigh and measure that it is all a miracle. There's a broad, I think, spectrum of views concerning the teaching of Scripture on the subject of healing. And of course, as with most things, there are extreme beliefs with this subject as well. There are some people today that would insist that the day of miracles or divine healing are all past. They're just beyond us, behind us, and that was for then and not for now. At other complete extremes of that train of thought are those who refuse to take or administer any kind of medicine, feeling to do so would just demonstrate for them and others around them an absolute lack of faith. And so we have those two extremes, one on one side and one on the other, and then a whole lot of things in between. There's a wide-ranging philosophies of healing, or, and sometimes they're confusing. And I think we could all, at least if you don't want to say it out loud, we could at least silently say amen. It's a little confusing. We don't understand how all of this works. And, and sometimes without clear direction, we don't really know how to pray as we ought. And so perhaps I think one of the most dramatic examples in the Old Testament 
was that of the healing of Naaman. Naaman was diagnosed with leprosy, and I, I know that many of you would know this, but for Naaman or in that era of time, for anyone to be diagnosed with leprosy was the same thing as a death sentence. There was no hope. Not only would Naaman ultimately die, but it would be a very slow and agonizing and grueling death. Probably one of the worst things that would, if anything could be worse than, than leprosy and death, on an emotional side of this would be the fact that because there was no cure for leprosy, that lepers were cast out. And so they were uh, not alone in the sense that they were solitary, but uh, solitary, but it, was, it would be that they were not with friends and family and those that they would most want to be with at such a dire time. And so you not only had a physical bridge to cross, but also an emotional bridge to cross as you walked away from your family perhaps to never see them again. And so here is Naaman. But God in his divine providence had a Hebrew slave girl who told him about a prophet in Israel who said, if you will just get to him, his God can heal you. He pays the prophet a visit and he's told that he would be healed with just this simple prescription. You go to Jordan's River and dip seven times. He dipped the seven prescribed times and he came forth according to 2 Kings 5, healed. He was made whole. That's what the scripture says. Another example is seen when the Israelites were crossing the wilderness and during this time in Exodus, if you read in the book of Numbers 21, uh, the book of Numbers 21 begins when it talks about the people that were murmuring against God and Moses and because of this, God sent vipers among them, serpents among them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and he told them, told Moses to make a, a, a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And all this just seems, <laughs> seems way off the beaten path, doesn't it? And he said, make this serpent, this brazen serpent and, and put it on a pole. And anybody that's bitten by a viper, if they will just look upon this serpent, then they will be healed. And I, I think that was a type and a shadow of something else that was going to be lifted up. Amen, of course. But nevertheless, they looked upon the serpent and they were healed. What, a, what an interesting story. Hezekiah was healed of a terminal illness and, and 15 years were granted to his life in 2 Kings 20. And despite these examples that we rejoice over, we also know that some were healed and others were not. And that's just the end of the story. And so this drives home, I think, for all of us a very important point. And perhaps I could say this, have you stand, let's dismiss, and we could go home. You ready? I'm not going to do that. I just said perhaps <laughs> I could do that. Here's, here's the bottom line. We must have a deep reverence and respect and trust in the sovereignty of God. God knows what he's doing. And so I have all kind of faith when I approach him, but you know what? At the, at the end of all of our prayer, when it is said and done, it is God's sovereignty that is going to have to be regarded and respected. 
The fact stands that God did, in fact, perform certain physical hearing, healings during the Old Testament times. We have record of them. John indicates to us that if everything that were written that could be written, the world would not contain it. And so I truly believe that even the records that we have are, is just an insight. It's just a peek through, a very small peek through what really had taken place. And so we, we know there, 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 there wasn't an emphasis on it or, uh, you know, any even though God healed and even though God performed miracles in the Old Testament, there was not a lot of emphasis that was placed upon that. There was not a priest or a prophet that would classify themselves as having a healing ministry. It was just times and seasons that God moved and other times and seasons that God did not. If we now turn the page, so to speak, and look into the New Testament, Jesus demonstrated his deity and power by manifesting authority over every realm of the universe. There was no question who was in charge. He revealed his, his power over nature when he spoke to the winds and the sea and just simply told them to be still. He demonstrated his power over the spirit world when he commanded the demons that were in the man, the demonic of Gadara, when he commanded them not only to leave, but he told them where to go. And not only did they leave, but they went where they were told to go. And so he demonstrated his power over nature. He demonstrated his power over the spirit world. His dominance over men was seen many, many times throughout his earthly ministry, not the least of which would be Luke 4, when, uh, when those that were conspiring according to scripture, to throw him over a cliff and he just eluded them. He just escaped. He was just, uh, he just disappeared, so to speak, from their sight. And so he not only had power over nature or power over the spirit world, but he also had power over men. He had power over disease and physical affliction and that was manifested again many, many times over. We have the account of the, the lepers that were healed uh, again, at their obedience to his word. Compassion, I think, moved him to care deeply about not only the physical but also the spiritual needs of those that were there. The book of Matthew in, in chapter 9, verse 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no pasture. And so the Lord didn't just care for their physical needs or their spiritual needs. He was a very compassionate shepherd who cared about every aspect of their lives. It seems obvious that Jesus had total authority over things that were affecting humanity and its suffering. However, it also appears in Scripture that that he only used that when he truly believed that it would be beneficial or when it would serve as a sign to future generations. In other words, Jesus just didn't go about 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just signs, wonders, and miracles. He didn't go to the end. He didn't heal everybody. We know that the scripture even talks about places that he visited, that he did not many miracles there because of their unbelief. And there were, there were those who did not welcome him. As a matter of fact, in Gadara, that I just mentioned, the man that was healed of demon possession 
was not the only man with a need in that city, but because the city refused to embrace the ministry of the Lord, he just got on the ship and went another place. And so he didn't heal everybody. He didn't go to the infirmities or to leper colonies and heal all of them. He didn't go to the cemeteries and raise up all the dead. You know why? Because that was not his primary mission. That was not his mission. By the same token, he didn't turn away those that had needs in particular. The blind in John 9, the lame in Matthew 12, or or many, many other instances all throughout the Gospels. No human problem was ever beyond his power to heal. The New Testament church experienced miraculous, powerful healings among their, their, their fellowships in the New Testament church. The record in the book of Acts includes what we could refer to as many signs and wonders that were worked among the early church, the New Testament believers. But there, study as you may, try as you may, no way can you ever find any apparent pattern to how God moved. There was no system. There was no way that you could ever hone it all down and say, aha, I I see now, I see what he's doing. I see these common threads. There were no apparent patterns in any of these instances. On some occasions, there were hands laid on people that were healed, but not in all instances. There were occasions, the man at the lame man at the temple gate, in other words, for uh, example, he was taken by the hand and lifted up. And in that gesture, he was healed. One man was healed when just the very shadow of Simon Peter passed him. I don't think there was any healing virtue in the, in the shadow. And so we, we can't find any common thread that we could mimic in this church. And say, well, if we just do this, this, and this, and this, then we have somehow got painted in a corner. And so as in Jesus' own ministry, there was no discernible pattern to the healing miracles. And so that is why it is difficult to state unequivocally that if we do this, this will be the end result and this will be guaranteed. God refuses to be boxed into our philosophies and our trains of thought, and God doesn't just buy in to think how we think, and he he doesn't allow us to operate his affairs. He's his own man. (laughs) He's his own man. There's an element of faith, I think, beyond human attainment. I I remember um, I thought about this yesterday when I was getting ready for this. I, I thought about an instance that happened in the life of my pastor, Brother Billy Tumman. He, in his younger years of serving the Lord, he was at a camp meeting, and he was very ill. He was very, very sick physically. And as he sat in the service, at the end of the service, whoever was preaching that service said, if you're here tonight and would like to be healed, he said, I want you to come down to the front. And so he among many, many other people, joined in and came down to the front. And so the preacher just kept talking and they ended the service and, and, uh, and this is his testimony now. I'm not telling off on him. This is his testimony. But he said that he came down there with the expectation that if he came down that the preacher was going to come down and know him with oil and lay hands and pray for him. And he said when that didn't happen, I'm using the word offended here a little bit loosely, but when that didn't happen, he kind of got a little sideways. Let's just put it that way. Because he, he was kind of embarrassed that he had, he had stepped out and come down and, 
And while he was sitting there kind of sucking his thumb, it, he, it got lost to him that the Lord had healed him. Amen. Because <laughs> he wanted, to, he was thinking it was going to happen a certain way. And so while he's sitting down there mystified because nobody is coming down and anointing oil and laying hands and asking exactly what's wrong with you, what would you have me pray for? Because we didn't go through the motions as we perceived it in our mind. And while he thought on these things, he almost missed the fact that God had healed him because, you see, it was the faith that was exercised when he stepped out. And that's just how God chose night, not the laying on of hands and not necessarily the anointing oil and so we have to be very, very careful that, that we don't try to put God in some proverbial box and think that this is how it is going to happen. I don't think that, uh, that, that, that the faith that we need for healing is something that we can generate in our own mind. I don't think we can create an atmosphere necessarily, I'm talking about within human ability to do that. I think this is a faith that comes directly from God at the moment of need. Amen. I've prayed for people in some strange places. That's the truth. Amen. I'm not always in church, just like you. And so I've prayed for people on elevators. I've prayed for people in hallways. I've prayed for people in businesses. I've prayed for people in restaurants. Uh, amen, you just pray and I think that God comes at that moment of need and he can meet and minister to that need and so we, we have all, I'm preaching to uh, largely tonight to people that have been around church for quite a while and so we have all seen these gifts in operation and, and perhaps many if not most tonight have seen miraculous results. You have, you have seen God do something in your life. However, <clears throat> God is not all, these miracles are not always present and they're not always on display at every occurrence of sickness. I've prayed for people with fever when they came down here who had fever when they went back to their, their pew and they had fever when they laid back down in their bed that night. I can't explain that. I can't explain that. I'm not here to try to explain that. But I want to talk about the prayer of faith for just a moment. It, 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 the only procedure that we have, if you want to call it that, the only procedure that we have outlined for us in Scripture for healing prayer is, is found in the book of James. The Bible says in James 14 and 15, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That is the only outline that we have in scripture as to how we should handle prayer healing prayer some interpret this passage as God is going to perform a miracle just like we have it in our mind just like we envisioned it as I mentioned a moment ago in that illustration brother Timon this is just exactly how it's going to happen there's going to be that little there's going to be that little wrist switch or that <laughs> flick of the, of the wrist. We're going to wet the end of that finger with oil and touch the forehead right in the center. Amen. Careful, not too much, not too little. Don't get it on anybody's hair. Don't get it on anybody's clothes. It's going to be just, just we've got it all envisioned of how it's going to take place. That's obviously not the correct interpretation. Because if we could somehow discover the key that would bring the unfailing promises of God to perform at our will, 
it would be to our demise. If we, we, if we somehow cornered this market and we had that proverbial aha moment where we figured it all out, I think it would be to our demise because we would become so lifted up with pride and probably do some very, very foolish things because even though I think we can have the mind of God at times, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, I think we can find the mind of God I hope that's just not too much church vernacular there for you, but we can find the mind of God, but I don't think we can consistently keep the mind of God long enough to possess that kind of power because in time we would be in our flesh and we just have to say amen to that. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We're never gonna be able to see as far down the road as God can see and so his ways according to Isaiah and Roman are past finding out. So if we think we're gonna figure God out, we just kind of need to give up on that right now. He'll never surrender his eternal sovereignty to just mortal men. He's not gonna just hand me or you or anyone else the power to be at our beck and call. A scripture that is, that is often referred to as, uh, as assuring those who pray of getting whatever they ask for is found in John 14. John 14 and 12 The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if we just, to use a a more modern thought process, if we just copy and paste these few little passages right here and put them on another page, if we just let these scriptures stand alone, it seems as though these few verses, these three verses would just guarantee that whatever I want, that's what I'm going to get. However, we must, as always, yield ourselves to the context of which these verses, or any verses for that matter, are, are, are fall. And so here in John 14, Jesus is comforting his disciples because they are concerned about his departure. He said, I say unto you that if you believe on me, the works that I shall do, greater, you're gonna do greater works because I'm leaving. I'm going to my Father. And so they were concerned about that and he was reassuring his disciples that they would have every resource, whatever you need, you're gonna be able to carry on the ministry that has been started and you're gonna be able to accomplish any task. You're gonna be able to not just start them but you're gonna be able to complete them even though I'm not going to be with you in person because I'm gonna send my comforter which is the Holy Ghost, he's gonna be in you. And so so we have to keep those verses in context. God is not just giving us a card to do whatever we want, whatever we wish, and his beck and call. First, to ask in Jesus' name. In this case, was not merely just to tack a phrase to the end of a, of a request as though it were some sort of formula. It was so that their prayer should be there for his purpose and not just for their own selfish reasons. And so we need to do this in Jesus' name. Not Again, not just to try to get some authority, but we want your will to be done and accomplished. Amen. It was so that his will would be done. Secondly, our prayer should be on the basis of his merits 
and not necessarily our worthiness of it. It's not that we're worthy. And, and third, our prayers should be in pursuit of his will and let it be to his glory. Amen. Not to our will and not to our glory. God is not our personal servant to do our bidding. Amen. We are his servants. We are his servants to do his will. And so sometimes when God does not answer as we think he ought to answer, it can shake our faith and it's just all right to say amen. Because we've had our faith shaken. When we thought God was going to do something and it did not come through as we supposed, our faith can be shaken. I, I don't know of an instance where this was ever more defined for me and, and, and some of you are hearing this story for more than the first time, but years ago, a very good friend of mine, Brother Fears and his family, was their, their former pastor, Brother and Sister Lipham, who had a daughter who, who just had a dreadful disease and had it many, many years. And I remember visiting her not very long before she passed away. Sister Boyd and I went by their home, and as we went into the room to pray for her, Brother Lipham, in just a moment of sincere honesty, I've never held this against him, never thought, anything about this and by way of him his uh, losing confidence in him or, or nothing of that nature but as we got to her bedroom door a, a, as a father and a pastor he just looked at us and he said I'm going to let you go in alone because I don't want my lack of faith to hinder your prayer that, that, may, that may shock us but when you've lived with something for years and years and years, it'll whittle away at your faith. Amen. Let's take off our choir robes long enough here to just talk about some stuff tonight. Things can just whittle away at your faith. And I, 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 didn't, I don't, didn't then and don't esteem him now as a man of any less faith. I understand where he was coming from. You can get, you, your faith can get shaken in the battle. And so there are people today that if we're very honest, we can tell you that are no longer living for God because everything didn't work out or, or, or perhaps something, I'm not talking about being petty, but I'm just talking about maybe someone they love, they, they lost. Maybe they lost them to death or sickness or whatever. And, and so when, when the Bible is, is interpreted by such situations, when we think that we're just going to ask God and he's going to do that, we're going to tell God he's going to do our bidding, if we're not careful, we can lose our faith. I recently heard of someone, it was actually a prayer request, that someone said we need to pray for this friend because someone very, very close to them died and, and it sh had shaken their faith to the point he said, I don't know if I'll ever be able to teach or preach about faith again. Think about that. I don't think that's a permanent situation. I think that's a man speaking the sentiments of his heart as he stands in the middle of that blustery trial. Amen. I'm telling you that when, when certain things hit us, <laughs> You ever had the breath knocked out of you? I'm talking about literally. It's kind of a frightening thing, isn't it? That can happen to you spiritually. And so certain events can torment all of us and cause spiritual questions to, uh, to come into our mind. It's, it certainly can. And so if, if we insisted on getting everything we wanted, if, if we just said, God, it's my way or no way, if we insisted on doing that, whether that was material prosperity or healing from every ache and pain, I'm going to tell you, eventually we would spin out of control. 
if we just had everything we wanted. And so if we've got God figured out, then I'll tell you this, he has just now been reduced to just mere formulas and he has ceased to be God. His ways are beyond understanding. If we ever get God in the box that sometimes we feel like we want him in, the tragedy would be that he would cease to be God. Even when it's painful and hard to understand, I'm gonna go back to what I said a moment ago, we have to rest in the sovereignty of God. God, you know what you're doing. If I took you to Acts tonight and, and pointed out one more time to the stoning of Stephen, it made no sense in context. It made no sense if you freeze the frame. It made no sense if you were standing there. But you see, God in his sovereign will and purpose had something much larger looming for the future. And so we've got to rest in his sovereignty. We have to pray according to the will of God. This is not always easy. But we have got to pray, Lord, your will, your will be done. Your will be done. I know what I want. I know what I think we collectively want. But I've got to conclude that prayer. The bow tie that I've got to put on that prayer is God according to thy will. According to thy will. Because sometimes I may be praying amiss. I don't exactly know every intricate detail. So the prayer of faith is praying in confidence that God knows exactly what is needed. And sometimes what is needed is God's silence. What is needed is God's, what we might think is withdrawal. We need God to, because he knows exactly. And so understanding that God is going to perform at his discretion, his will, and in, in his time should bring some measure of solace. In the book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. It has got to be packaged in his will. We may be praying for someone and, and perhaps we don't know something. There's a missing piece of the puzzle. We're praying for somebody. We, we, you may have met someone and you're praying for them and, and uh, we don't know the backstory, but God knows the backstory. And so there may be many factors that are involved in this situation that we have no knowledge of. And so that's why we need to seek for the divine wisdom of God and discernment of the Lord so that we can pray according to his will because wrong motives can hinder the ministry of the Lord. Amen. And so we unbelief can hinder the ministry of the Lord. And so we need to, a prayer of faith acknowledges then that sovereignty of God. We're praying in faith. We're believing in you. But we understand that it's got to come into your will and in your time. And we're going to acquiesce to your sovereignty, what you would have that's what we desire. So we can't condemn, you know, when we read the book of Hebrews 11, I mean, it's a pretty neat, it's a pretty neat chapter to read. But when you get to verse number 35, the Bible talks about others and, and others that were not delivered. And so we can't condemn the others that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 as faithless because they weren't delivered because that's not true. Amen. In fact, the writer of Hebrews declares that they all died in faith. According to Hebrews eleven thirty nine. they died in faith. Whether they were delivered or not, they were still reaching for and believing in. Those who operate on that, uh, that mindset that God is going to do it or else. God is going to do it or else. If that is their approach, here's what I've noticed. They often experience real high highs and real low lows. Amen. Because they feel like it's this or else. 
One day they're on top of the world, the next day they're as low as low can be because it's all been predicated upon whether what happened to them was good or bad. But see, God never fails. Fails. And so we can't, we can't put God in some box and say this is how it is going to be. We have got to yield ourselves to the sovereign will of God. Miraculous events may happen anywhere. They may happen at any given moment. But you know what? Most often those miracles are not going to happen in every place all the time. That's, that's right. Amen. And the apostles and the early church saints didn't... didn't uh, they didn't seem to just get overcome or overwhelmed at the first sign of trouble. According to what we can find, when God healed them, they rejoiced. But when he didn't, they still rejoiced. Amen. That's what you find that many times in the, in the epistles. They kept their faith when all was well. They kept their faith when things weren't going so well. But here's the key. The peace of God ruled their hearts. And so that's what we need is the peace of God to stand beside us. Amen. A peace that passes all understanding. Let that stand with us. The New Testament contains instances where the, where, where sick were, the sick were not healed immediately. And some of them were not healed at all. We find those instances. In the book of, in Philippi, in the book of Philippians, a man by the name of Epaphroditus had evidently contracted a serious disease while visiting Paul in Rome. Because here's what Paul says in Philippians 2 and 27. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And then Paul went on to say, but that mercy wasn't just for him. Because you see, this was a dear friend. Paul already had a world full of problems. And he said, you know what? The Lord didn't just have mercy on him, but he had mercy on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And so Paul saw that not only as a miracle for his friend, but a miracle for him as well. Evidently, since he came very close to death. It's also implied in Scripture in the book of uh, Timothy that Timothy had some sort of, uh, maybe an ongoing or long-lasting physical problems. If we look at 1 Timothy 5 and 23, Paul said to Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. That's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, you, we got to get this under control. We got to get this arrested. And so he said, for your stomach's sake and for thine often infirmities. Of course, this wine that Paul is referring to is for medicinal purposes, much like perhaps modern medicines would be today. And so here's my point in bringing that out, that if prayer always produced healing, why didn't Paul just pray for him? <laughs> here's the man. The man. <laughs> See, and what you need to do is lay off of that water and for your stomach's sake, drink a little wine till you can get all of this taken care of and in a few days, everything's going to be all right. It sounds kind of like prescriptions today, right? Every eight hours for the next seven days, I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Pay on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> again another man a man by the name of Trophimus a gentle Christian of 
Ephesus was traveling. He was also a traveling companion of Paul's. He was not healed instantly. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 and 20, he said, I have left him at Militum sick. I left him. He's too sick to travel. I had to leave him there. So if prayer was all you needed, I'm not suggesting Paul didn't pray for his two friends. But God doesn't always heal. I'm not trying to discourage us tonight, but we need to get our feet planted on something and, and realize that if God didn't heal you, that's not necessarily because you've got some sin in your life or there's something wrong and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even Paul himself suffered an ongoing physical problems. He explained this in the book of Galatians, Galatians 4 and 13. He said, you know how through much infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not nor rejected but received me as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus. Paul said, I had some infirmities in my flesh and, and you didn't even despise me for that. You, you loved me in spite of all that was wrong with me. You, you didn't hold that against me. You didn't reject me, but he said, you received me as an angel of God. Amen. You know, I had a, a pastor friend, not of our faith, but I had a pastor friend confide in me some years ago he pastored a rather large church <clears throat> and uh, in the process in the course of his pastorate he uh, he got cancer and uh, when he got cancer he was dismissed and Shortly after he recovered, his wife got cancer. And he said, I sat in the hospice room, the same hospice room that I had visited saints in for decades, and not one soul showed up. But Paul said, you love me even with my infirmity. You treated me as an angel of God. Even though I was sick, you weren't ashamed of that. You, you didn't reject me of that. And so I, I, I thank God for the church. I said this in my opening comments. I thank God for the church, those that can love us when we're lovable and love us when we're not lovable. <laughs> Amen. We had a, when we first came here several years ago, we hadn't been here very long, we got a little dog for our son, and she just lived forever. And uh, <laughs> she was a good, she was just, a, she was a really good dog, good guard dog. She, just, she didn't let anything in the yard and, and uh, yet wasn't a threat to people that were visiting or whatever. And so as she began to get sicker and ail, ailments, more and more ailments, and and so I would often just jokingly, and my wife, she's my wife, you know, tender-hearted she is, and I'd, I'd, I'd put her food down there. I said, now, we're feeding you today because of what, not what you are, but what you've been. <laughs> we're we're going to feed you today because of what you have been. And I just kind of did that to aggravate my wife. But 
it was really the truth. I mean, why I didn't want to just put her away because she couldn't do all the things she had done. And so we're, we're, we're not told what the infirmity of Paul was. We're not, even, we're not even clear in this particular instance if he recovered over time or if this was what he referred to in Corinthians 7 as the thorn in the flesh. We don't really know about that. Evidently, one thing we do know, according to 1 Corinthians 12, he didn't receive a total healing or total deliverance from that that afflicted or ailed him or tormented him. And so the fact here remains then that not even some of Paul's closest friends were healed or Paul himself was healed. No indication if if they those infirmities or those sicknesses ever faulted Paul or ever hindered him or stopped him. They may have hindered him, but they didn't stop the work that God had called him to do. Amen. I'm thankful for people that continue steadfastly in the faith. I'm thankful for that. Trusting regard God regardless of their of their fate. I'm going to trust God. Amen. I'm just going to be very honest here as our musicians come. This evening, I have watched through the years families in this church that have suffered devastating blows. And I have watched through eyes of humility as they come walking through those church doors again. They didn't sit there with their sorrows like a garment. Amen. They didn't sit there seeking sympathy from anybody who might lend it. But they just came back. And I'm going to tell you, their faith solidified my faith. And they just kept pressing on. They just kept pushing on. They just kept pressing on. And I'm so thankful for that. I suppose the thing that we need to take away from this tonight would simply be this. That whatever our circumstances are, we just need to be faithful to God. I just want to serve Him. We rejoice with those that are healed by his power. But I'm going to tell you something. I also want to rejoice with those who have just been sustained by his grace. Maybe God didn't heal them, but somehow God has just sustained them. They just, they just keep pressing on. They just keep pressing on. And I know that sometimes it's difficult and perhaps not even would be ethical for everybody to know every little intricate detail about everybody else's life. But as the pastor of the church, sometimes you can't help, and that's part and parcel of what you do. And so sometimes when you see not only people that are going through physical pain or ailment or infirmities in their body, but they're going through some other things in their life that, that are unexplainable, but they just keep pressing on. They just keep pressing on. I want to tell you something. It's, it just solidifies something in you. And so that just seems to be in line with the New Testament healing theology, if I may say it that way that we're just going to rejoice with those that are healed and we're going to rejoice with those that God sustains with his grace. And I think that the questions about miracles and healing, I think at the end of the day that mankind has struggled with these questions about the will of God for 2,000 years. And you didn't ask for my opinion, but I'll give you my opinion. If time tarries for 2,000 more years, I think we'll still be grappling with it. Because here is man and here is God. God is sovereign and we're never going to understand his ways. And, and there's a curiosity in man. There is an itch in our minds and our spirit to want to know. And I think we're always going to be grappling over those things. 
but I don't think it's one, two, three. I don't think our healing because comes because somebody touches us or somebody blows on us or I, none, none of the above. Amen. I slid that right in there, didn't I? It's, it's just going to be God's will. It's just going to be God's will. And so we just have to put our hand in the hand of God. No one in the Bible, here's what we do know. This is our source. This is our hope. This is our guide. And so the book that I hold in my hand is filled with miracles, signs, and wonders, and healings, and things that just simply take our breath away. But I'm telling you, the book I've also got in my hand holds names in it that were never healed. They were never delivered. They were never set free. Amen. And so there, there were those that did not escape pain and suffering. And, and I mentioned to you a moment ago, Paul did not. Hebrews 11, if I could just mention that in passing, shares with us a history, a great history of people that had great successes in their life. If you read up to verse number 35, you read about all of these wonderful patriarchs of faith. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm not saying this to try to, 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 uh, to minimize the, the faith or the walk that these men and women of God had that are in Hebrews 11. But I'll tell you what, do yourself a favor and study their life one by one. And you'll realize it was not a walk of roses. It was not just some little flowery journey. Even those that, that conquered in the end had great battles. And you know what? Many of them, great failures. Great failures in their life. But they just kept getting up. They just kept getting up. And so their deliverance was not solely dependent upon their faith because, again, the Bible talks about those in verse number, starting at verse 35 down through verse 39, but the Bible says of all of them, they died in faith. And so we're not exempt from pain. We're not exempt from suffering just because they're believers. We will be afflicted by accident and diseases and, and we will die. Amen. But I'm so thankful that God can keep us and sustain us. And here's, here's I, I suppose, one thing that we can be assured of. That God allows circumstances to mold us if we'll allow it to mold us to shape us to help us to be more compassionate more understanding because you see everybody that's standing perhaps even those who stand in front of you are not standing there with their lives as in check as you may think we never know sometimes the horror that make up the lives of people that even we have great confidence in and people that have touched us and people that have shaped and helped mold our lives. It's hard for us to think about a man who has influenced as much of Pentecost as Rex Johnson that while preaching a camp meeting, what a noble thing, out of town, away from home, preaching a camp meeting in a fiery crash to lose his wife and a child. And so just because somebody's standing behind a pulpit with a microphone in their hand, with their hand, other, other hand raised in the air, doesn't mean there's no scars. Doesn't mean there are no scars. Somewhere near eight years ago, one morning, Brother and sister J.H. Osborne's 17-year-old daughter walked out the door to never be seen again.
So what are you going to do with that? You're going to fold up your Bible? You're going to put it on the top shelf? I, I know we're cutting very, very close to the heart tonight. But you see, I'm, I'm trying to underline that we will rejoice with those that God heals. But we also need to rejoice with those that God sustains. I had not been in the ministry very long at all when on a Friday night we were in Plant City for a fellowship meeting, a rally of some sort. I don't remember the the title of the occasion. The building was packed. What a great dynamic service, a great church, a great pastor. Brother Paul Texter was probably 40, maybe at the most 42 years old. You may remember the Texter. Two nights later on Sunday night, his son had ridden his motorcycle to church and decided at the last minute to go off with the youth to the pizza place and ask his dad, Dad, will you just ride my motorcycle home? And about a quarter of a mile from the church, a drunk driver got out of his lane and hit Brother Texture head on and took him out into eternity at what we may deem the apex of his ministry. Do you stop? Do you fold it all up? Do you put the building on the market for sale? No. We just rejoice with those family members that were left that God has sustained by his grace. His son is pastoring that church today. And through many trials and tribulation and ups and downs, they somehow stayed on their feet. And so we're going to rejoice with those that God sustains. He keeps them. He keeps them. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Could we just worship the Lord in this song? I, I trust God can administer something to us in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.